Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 144 of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. As always, I'm Matt Lombardo with my friend and colleague, Ryan Dunleavy. We cover the Giants for NJ.com. Ryan, a win to talk about, a Giants victory, week 10 on the road, Levi's Stadium. They come out with a comeback drive, a fourth quarter comeback from Eli Manning. They pick up their second win of the year, 27 to 23, and they now have a chance to put together their first two games winning streak since the final four games of the 2016 season leading up to that playoff loss at Lambeau. And what a week, what a, uh, a change a week makes in terms of the mood around this team after that victory. Yeah, is this the playoff edition of the podcast, Matt? Is that, <laughs> are we talking playoffs yet or is this the Eli Manning should contract extension uh, edition of the podcast? Where are it, we right it's now? It's probably it's probably the closest thing to talking playoffs as we're going to get on this podcast all year <laughs> long. We're going to break cold water you just threw on everything. <laughs> Well, you got to build it up and then tear people down. That's what we do here, right? But but if you do like what you hear on the podcast, we'd love if you would subscribe on iTunes, leave us those five-star reviews, let us know what you like and you don't like, and it helps us really grow the show. You can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and, of course, YouTube. You can check us out on all those places. And the one thing, Ryan, that Odell Beckham Jr. seems to be wanting to check out is an eight-game winning streak to close out the year. They now have a win against the Niners, and I think a very winnable game upcoming against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, do, do they have any shot at this? Do they have any shot at turning this thing around? I'll let you give your answer first, and then I'll chime in. Well, I didn't pick them, but a lot of people picked them. So, look, the Giants are favored for the first time all season. It's week 11, and the New York Might be Giants- the only time all year, yeah. by the way. It's week 11, and the Giants are favored for the first time all season. That's hard to believe, really. Shows you how bad they've been and how good the schedule has been. Uh, I didn't pick them. A lot of people did. I think you did. Uh, a lot did. of people. A lot of people around the nation did. A lot of people on our staff did. Uh, a lot of people think the Giants are going to win two in a row. There's, we'll dive into it soon. There's parts of this matchup I don't like for the Giants uh, along the line of scrimmage and secondary. But, look, it's certainly possible. The Bucks stink. And you and I should be at least glad of one thing, Matt. You know what that is? What's that? We're not covering Raiders Cardinals. 
That, this is very true. This is very true. And, and this game, I don't think is going to be a high scoring game, but I think it's one of those things that, you know, you, you look at the ebb and flow of an NFL season and there are times, and I wrote this in my pick for, for the game, there are times when a team can build some momentum on the type of win the Giants had virtually in walk-off fashion against the Niners on a short week, right? I, I thought that win really brought them together and I think they have a chance to, you know, win, win a close game at home. It will be their first uh, home victory of the season which is kind of you know wild to think about that their only two wins of the year not only came away from home but their first victory came over a Houston Texans team that has now won six in a row since that game so the Texans are playing some really good football and the really uh, kind of amazing thing about this is Ryan if the Giants beat the Buccaneers on Sunday and the Eagles lose to the New Orleans Saints, which I think is a very real possibility, given the fact that the Eagles have a really banged up secondary. Uh, Jalen Mills might not play. Sidney Jones might play. Ronald Darby out. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins with a busted thumb. They go to New Orleans to take on Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, and the Saints, who we saw earlier in the year. If the Eagles lose that game... The Giants are only one game out of third place in the division next week going to Philadelphia. So kind of wild where we are right now. You know what third place gets you? A harder schedule next year and a worse draft pick. (laughs) Only only one thing matters. First place, there's no wild card from this division. This division stinks. There's only one team going to the playoffs. You're going to be the number four seed. Uh and right now, the Giants are four games behind the Redskins with seven to play. I don't know if people realize this ain't baseball. Four right. four games in the NFL is an enormous deficit at this point in the season. So all the Giants can do, as Odell Beckham said, is just win, win, win. Uh, just chalk them up, chalk them up, chalk up win after win. Get Try to get to nine and seven. And if you get to nine and seven, then look, you go nine and seven. And you, you feel like you have a chance, especially in this division. But look, they could let's call it what it is, Matt. They could go nine and seven. Look, they're not going to go nine and seven. No. But nope. even if even if they did go nine and seven, they could still miss the playoff because they've already done enough damage where Washington could go ten and six. See you later. Yep, no, I agree, and I think that when you look at the Giants' schedule, and and again, I think this is water, buddy. I feel we're going to be trying to one up each other the entire podcast here, so it's going to be a a roller coaster ride for the listeners. But I think that's kind of fun, especially with a two and seven team. Um, But but you look at the remaining schedule, and I think that you can find three games where the Giants should win the game, right? And I think that the first one is this week against the Buccaneers. I think that the Colts on the road on the two days before Christmas, I'm not as bullish on the Colts as a lot of people are. I think that's a very winnable game. And I think going to Washington, uh, depending on what the Redskins do over the next couple of weeks on December 9th, I think the The Giants have a chance to win that game. The six and three Redskins, those Redskins, they're going to beat the six and three Redskins at Washington. Again, I don't think Washington is as good as their record says, and I think they could run into some trouble here. Their upcoming schedule, they have the Texans this week, which I think is a really tough matchup. I like Houston there. They go to Dallas, who now suddenly has a little bit of momentum after beating the Eagles on Sunday night. They go to Philadelphia, an Eagles team that's been reeling. They have the Giants, which is a head-to-head matchup. Then you go to Jacksonville, have the Tennessee Titans, and then it's Eagles-Redskins in the final game of the year. Um, I'm not saying the Giants are going to run the table because I think that the Bears are going to be a really tough draw. I think the Titans are going to be a really tough draw. But I, I don't think that the Redskins are going to run away with this division. I think there's a chance that they might go eight and eight, nine and seven, and wind up winning it. Yeah. Look, I mean, I, I think it's a it, like I said, it's a bad division. It's the worst the NFC East has been in a long time. 
this is not usually a division where like a eight and eight team wins. I, I did the research on it. I, actually, it's never happened. So uh, that's what's keeping the Giants' hopes alive. That's the difference between the Giants and the Bucks. Matt is the Bucks are three and six. Actually, have a better record than the Giants, but they're buried in, behind the Saints and the Panthers and the Falcons. So it really doesn't matter what they they could go six and ten and still finish last in their division. Yep, and I think that, again, it would be nice for the fans to see a win on Sunday at MetLife. I think that it would be nice for the the psyche of this team, and if they're trying to build something for 2019 and beyond around Pat Shermer, uh, for him to be able to keep that team together after the loss going into the bye week, through the bye week, with all of the conversation about Kyle Oletta's arrest and what that meant to the potential future of Eli Manning, for them to win two in a row, I think that that's one of those building blocks for the future if they can pull that off. But there are some real long-term ramifications here to them continuing to win games. It's not going to get easier for them to get the number one pick because I don't know that Oakland's going to win a game the rest of the way. Arizona is going to really stink. struggle. Oh. Exactly. Oh, D- Dan Duggan and I, our former colleague, got to go to a barbecue restaurant in San Francisco and sit around and watch the Raiders play the Chargers, Chargers, I guess it was. Yep. Yeah, Raiders. Oh, man, are the Raiders bad. Yeah, I, opted, I, I opted not to watch that game on the flight. I was zoned in on Rams and Seahawks, a game that actually matters. But when I did flip over in commercial, I was blown away at their inability to move the football and, and how how far uh, the, their quarterback, Derek Carr, has fallen in his first year with John Gruden. You think the Giants have trouble? Uh, imagine being an owner who just committed $100 million over 10 years to that head coach. And he's already and, lost the and 120 million of his quarterback. Yeah. So if you, if you think the Giants are struggling out there, Giants fans, there are teams with a lot bigger issues than yours. Uh, but but in addition to the draft positioning and the jockeying there, uh, if the draft were held today, the Giants would own the number three overall pick. And I think the path's number one gets a little bit murkier because as we talked about just how bad the Raiders are. But in the more immediate future, Ryan, what does this do to the prospects of playing Kyle Loretta? Because you think back to before the bye week, Pat Shermer wouldn't commit to Eli Manning playing beyond the 49ers game. I thought he did some nice things on that final drive. I thought he did some nice things in the game, made some really puzzling decisions, had a really bad overthrow to of things that I wrote about in today on Friday on the site. Uh, I think Eli certainly did enough winning the game and with that drive to earn another start. But beyond that, I, I think that we're in week by week territory before you have to find a way to get Kyle Loretta in there, or you're very quickly going to go down a slippery slope of the same issues that the organization had last year with Davis Webb. Do you moonlight as Kyle Oletta's agent? Why is that? <laughs> You're so pro Kyle Oletta. Like I, uh, you last week you said you wanted him to play. Uh, we had this debate. Look, Matt, I, I don't think it changes anything. I really don't. But my stance was different than your stance. So maybe you think something changed. I didn't think Loletta should start this game. I thought win or lose against the 49ers, the Giants should uh, start Loletta should start Manning at home. I thought this kind of could be his home finale, his swan song, his chance to say goodbye. And to any Giants fan listening, I would warn you that it still might be. If the Giants lose to the Bucks, this might be the last time you see Eli Manning. Maybe they trot him out for a couple snats against the Cowboys. But even that would be acknowledging he's going to be released, which I don't know that they're going to do. So they certainly, uh, you know, they haven't certainly haven't 
uh, acknowledge that publicly. Eli's not going to take that well. So I don't know that you can do that against the Cowboys because that's giving tipping your hand. That's reading the writing on the wall. So yeah. this really might be the last time you see Eli Manning as the Gi- Giants starting quarterback if they lose. Yep. So uh, I thought it would be that anyway. So no, to answer your question, on my end, nothing changed. But you and I had a pretty heated debate. You've wanted to see Laletta since like week two or three, I think. Well, I wanted to see all that after the bye against the Niners because you I'm had the two kidding. weeks I'm to get him ready. No, I, I I'm just get him, buddy. I know, but I just want to clarify my Kyle Oletta stance. It's not an, a, a necessarily pro-Kyle Oletta stance as much as it is. I think that it is now a consensus that Eli Manning is not the Giants quarterback of the future beyond 2018, correct? Correct. So in, if, with that in mind, I, I think that you need to get as much data and as many snaps as possible with Kyle Oletta as the quarterback to evaluate can he be your starter in 2019 or do you have to go all in to get Justin Herbert, even if that now potentially means uh, mortgaging future assets to trade up and get Herbert in the draft above the Oakland Raiders? Or are you okay with Kyle Loretta being your starter for a year or even being your franchise quarterback? Listen, listen I know you you did the breakdown and the Dak Prescotts of the world, that they are the clear exception to the rule when it comes to fourth round picks. You're typically looking at career backups and and journeyman quarterback quarterbacks in that range but you just don't know and and Loretta uh this team fell in love with him at the senior bowl they saw what he was able to do about some against some of the top talent um in that all-star game they like his you know ability to make quick decisions get rid of the football and all of those things and I feel like the longer you play Eli Manning the shorter your evaluation window gets and if you're going to finish this year two and 14 three and 13 four and 12 I, I just don't know why you benefit or what the upside is of playing Manning. No, look, I agree with everything you said. Uh, I share your opinion. I just don't share your opinion of what the Giants are thinking or what the Giants are going to do. I share your you know, your rationale, your reasonable line of thinking. Everything you say makes sense. I'm just trying to put my head in. I'm just trying to put myself in the head of the owner who signed off on Eli's benching last year and then changed his mind or Gettleman who is wearing rings on his finger that Eli Manning won him. Uh, right. So I just, that's why I don't see it to be honest, but I, uh, but I agree with everything you're saying. I think it's all rational. And you, you brought up my story, my fourth round pick story. If you haven't checked it out, please do on nj.com slash giants. I, went through every fourth round pick since 2000 and if you're groaning at the idea of Dak Prescott being the Giants quarterback of the future or Kirk Cousins being the Giants quarterback of the future if those guys aren't good enough for you then boy are you in for a rude awakening because those guys are the high-end ceiling and most fourth round picks end up being Stefan LaFour's or, you know, Kyle Orton or Matt Barkley, uh, Matt Barkley. Although if you're a Jets fan who happens to be listening, you <laughs> might, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll leave that there. I, um, I'm, I'm going to throw a very wild I, concept. Hold, hold on. I just, I just say that because all the time we get tweeted, like, what about Russell Wilson? What about Nick Foles? What, what about pick. Tom Brady? Yes. i pick exception to every rule in Except, the history of the correct. NFL draft. Yes. Correct. So if Kyle Lillette is the exception, then you just hit the, you just hit a home run. But, you know, I gave you the rule, basically. Yep. Now, I'm going to throw a wild concept at you, and I don't think that I've even discussed this with you off the podcast, in the car, driving back from a game, on the road, anywhere. 
that was some drive back from Santa Clara to San Francisco. I don't know what you forgot to mention. We had about two hours to discuss everything. So, Would you trade, and I'm not saying you as in being Dave Gettleman, but if you could pick up the phone and call the Dallas Cowboys, would you if trade would, a, a second-round pick? As, as Ryan, Ryan Dunleavy r- running the Giants, okay. would you trade a second-round pick for Dak Prescott? No. Okay. No, I would okay. not. I would take my – I think there will be – some second round quarterback available this year. I mean, now look, second round quarterbacks have a much higher success rate than fourth round quarterbacks. Uh, I think there will be some second round quarterback this year. Ryan Finley from North Carolina State or uh, Will Greer. Will Greer, West Virginia. Yes, yeah. or the kid from Duke whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, one of those kids will be there in the second round that I would take my chance with him. I could. Well, he could be worse than Dak Prescott, but I, at that point, I'd rather have my own guy because I'm certainly not convinced that you could win with Dak Prescott in this league. Un- understandable, but I think that if you are out of the Will Greer sweepstakes and if you are not looking for a bridge quarterback in a Teddy Bridgewater, I look back to Dak uh, Prescott's bridge, rookie bridge year. Water. Bridge, Bridgewater. I like what you did there. You like that. You like that. Yeah. Rookie year for Dak Prescott, when he had all those weapons with Ezekiel Elliott and Des Bryant and Jason Witten, 3,600 yards, 23 touchdowns, four picks. In a year where he, quote-unquote, regressed last year, 3,300 yards, 22 touchdowns, 13 picks, 63% completion percentage. Uh, I look at this year for Dak Prescott, I think it's more of an anomaly because he just has nobody to throw the football to. I think that if you put somebody like him with his functional mobility in this offense behind this line with Barkley, Beckham, Shepard, Ingram, if people want to blame the offensive line and want to say that it's a lack of protection for Eli Manning and Manning's inability to create extra time in the pocket that's really hampered this offense, in addition to, in my opinion, uh, inconsistent arm strength, I think Dak Prescott is a guy that you drop into this offense and, and you're ready to compete for the division next year. Yeah, but you and I are just having fun with this. There is no way no Jerry jo- no way no Jerry Jones. No, no. But let me ask you. Here's one that is realistic. So you would take a second round pick for Dak Prescott. Would you do a second round pick for Derek Carr? <sighs> I, I'm not. I go back and forth because he is just completely, you know, cratered and fell off a cliff. Um, He's three time Pro Bowler. Three time. Yes, years old. Three-time Pro Bowler, but I don't know that I would go Derek Carr. There's nothing about Derek Carr's skill set that overwhelms me as a quarterback. Um, Listen, if if you're telling me that he's going to be your guy and you're going to build around him, fine. I don't think I would love it. I don't think that it would excite me as much, and I don't think that there's Giant fans don't seem to like it. Yeah. I think we've kind of seen the best of Derek Carr, whereas if you get – uh, Dak Prescott into a functional offense with functional talent around him. I, I think maybe there's still some something you can get out of him. Whereas I don't know that that's the case potential wise with Carr. Yep. No, I agree. Look, I, I totally, I totally agree. I th- I liked it when the Giants still had snacks and they still had Apple. Uh, before I thought that before I saw that this was. You know, they were admitting mistakes before they cut Omame. I liked it because I thought like, okay, they're still in win now mode, even though they shouldn't be. So Derek Carr makes sense for a team in win now mode. I don't really like it nearly as much three weeks after I first floated it. Yep, no doubt about it. And and the one game where they have a real chance to quote unquote win now, I think is Sunday against the Buccaneers. And it's one of probably three 
winnable games remaining. But again, the Eagles game is the ultimate wild card because that team could be riding a two-game losing streak uh, into the link next week, and the the Giants could could have an opportunity there. So uh, let's dive into this game. Obviously, the big storyline this week, Ryan, was the return of Jason Pierre-Paul. He has eight sacks this year, which I believe is three sacks fewer than the Giants have Two. as a team. Two, Two sacks, so the Giants will have 10 sacks. He has eight. He'll be lined up against Nate Solder, who had arguably his best game as a Giant. He had a 92.7 pass blocking right. grade against the Niners, which was unreal. All eyes are going to be on this matchup on Sunday, and I think that it's going to go a long way towards helping or hurting the Giants' chances. Yep, I agree. I think that's the no- I think we can probably give you one key matchup really on each side of the ball. And I think that's the, that's the number one, uh, one on that side of the ball. I just don't see how the giants have any chance against this pass rush. And it's not just Pierre Paul. I don't think there's anything arguable about it. Solder had his best game credit to pro football focus. They do a great job with offensive line, uh, yeah, I broke that down. I broke that down uh, this week. You can look at each player's individual grade. Solder played very well. Jamone Brown graded out pretty well in his first game. Uh, one of the worst games of the year for Will Hernandez, who Pro Football Focus views as a top ten offensive guard in the league. Uh, Spencer Pulley struggled a little bit with an interior pass rush, uh, but Solder had his best game. So if you want to go check out a deep dive into the numbers, uh, hit up nj.com/giants. And then I think that. Uh... Gerald McCoy is a good inside pass rusher. That's kind of where the NFL is headed now. I kind of wrote about that this week, too. The NFL is headed towards inside pass rushers. It's kind of, um, so I just I think the Giants offensive line is going to struggle. Look, they're third in the NFL with the in most sacks allowed. 31 uh, just because the Niners only got one doesn't mean much to me. Uh, it's the fourth different offensive line combination. The Giants have used this year for, excuse me, fourth different starting combination, fifth different combination overall, I think. So uh, just, I, I thought they played well against the 49ers. I liked what Jamon Brown showed, but I don't necessarily think that they're going to be able to keep the box off of uh Eli Manning's back and if anyone hasn't seen the Jason Pierre Paul story he basically said I'm coming I'm gonna bring the house down pretty clearly has a chip chip on his shoulder he uh didn't like being traded he didn't like the way it went down he said he didn't hear from anybody besides a couple of teammates and Dave Gettleman a source told me that John Mara texted him uh and he didn't John Mara didn't hear back so one of those he said, he said things that have been around the Giants for a little far too long, as far as I'm concerned. Yep, no, and, and certainly that's going to be the talk leading up to Sunday, and it's going to be interesting to watch who Jason Pierre-Paul says hi to before the game, if he approaches John Mara, if Mara approaches him. Uh, it's going to be fascinating to see that. But on the defensive side of the ball, Ryan, um, it, two really big matchups, both in the secondary, stand out to me. One, it's Landon Collins against O.J. Howard, who's putting together a really nice year, and you look at what happened in San Francisco. Uh, Collins really struggled covering the tight ends and covering running backs out of the backfield. The Giants, both Ogletree and Collins, not really great in coverage the entire night. And then Janoris Jenkins against Mike Evans, that's mano a mano. I mean, you're looking at the Giants' best cornerback, even though I think he's been wildly inconsistent all year, against Mike Evans, who's probably a top-five wide receiver receiver in the entire NFL. 
Uh, yeah, I agree. I think, look, I think Janoris Jenkins, inconsistent's good. He's an enigma. Yeah, I think he's one of those guys that kind of plays to his competition. So he rose to the occasion with Mike Thomas. I won't be surprised if he rises to the occasion with Mike Evans. Uh, it's almost like unknowns, like that guy on the Falcons have a better chance of catching Janoris Jenkins by uh, – catching Janoris Jenkins by surprise than these big time guys do. So I think you're right. I think that's a key one. And then the giants don't cover tight ends. Well, they just don't, they haven't since 2016. They didn't in 2017. They have in 2018, but only really because they haven't faced any top notch ones. And here comes OJ Howard and Cameron Brait, yep. and then, and then Zach Ertz. Uh, yeah. They faced Zach Ertz already, but here comes then Zach Ertz and a bunch of other guys, Trey Burton, uh, on the Bears, a bunch of guys, these last Jordan Reed on the Redskins, a bunch of these guys, uh, the guy from the Colts who has like 47 touchdowns, Eric Ebron. Um, they're going to face a lot of really good tight ends these next couple games. Alec Ogletree has been bad in coverage. Yep. There's no other way to put it. Uh, Landon Collins, the coaches say he's doing better in coverage than the numbers say. Um, so we'll see how, we'll see how it goes. The giant, if the giants are getting killed by tight ends, that's a problem because that's been a problem for a long time. And you expect James Betcher to fix something that, you know, Steve Spagnuolo could not. And I'd expect the Buccaneers to really stretch the Giants thin, put four or five pass catchers on the field at a time. They don't really have much of a threat of the running game right now other than Peyton Barber, their first-round pick. Ronald Jones has been a, a major disappointment for them, having trouble even getting him on the field. But you look at the receivers and you look at Deshaun Jackson, still averaging over 21 yards per catch uh, at this stage of his career. God, Giants fans got to be so sick of that guy. <laughs> yeah, between what he did in Philly and what he did uh, in Washington, he, he's uh, just yeah. been – the career he's put together in, in the twilight of his career has been almost as impressive as what he did uh, back when he returned that punt against the Giants uh, at, yeah. at, at MetLife Stadium way back in the day. I was uh, covering a Rutgers women's basketball game at Madison Square Garden when that happened, and there were like a decent amount of Giants fans there who were you know, also Rutgers fans. And it, you, when he did that, you just heard a collective groan in Madison Square Garden. It was like, wait, what just happened? And then, like, you check Twitter, you heard through text message what had just happened. And it was just that groan in the basketball crowd when Deshaun Jackson did that is something I'll never forget. Yeah, so you look at O.J. Howard, you look at Deshaun Jackson, you look at Mike Evans, who right now uh, is averaging 16.7 yards per catch. And, and then Chris Godwin is emerging for them as well, putting together a really nice year in his second season. Uh, they move him around between the slot and outside. He's averaging 13 yards per catch and has four touchdowns. So they like to throw the ball. They like to spread it around. And I think that could be a trouble spot for a giant secondary that, yes, you, you have Landon Collins, who's an all-pro, but Curtis Riley is a real question market free safety you look at the outside you have janoris jenkins bw webb might be playing a little bit out of position on the outside and then you have a couple of rookies in grant haley and sean chandler rotating in the nickel um ryan i i really don't love the matchup of the buccaneers Ugh. pass catching weapons against the giants secondary no, I certainly don't love it. Um, and the stat I've been using all week is Ryan Fitzpatrick has as many touchdown passes, 17, as the Giants have touchdowns scored total offense, defense, special teams, running, passing. Uh, and that's with Fitzpatrick sitting out two games and not starting three of them while the Jameis Winston experiment continued. So uh, the Bucks are explosive. There's really no other way to put that. They're the number one yardage offense in the NFL. The Giants are 
not. <laughs> so I don't. So I do not. Uh, I don't know if the Giants can keep up. Really, it's going to be on the Giants defense. They, this game needs to be played in the teens or the twenties for the Giants to have a chance. If the Bucks start scoring points. Uh, there's just simply there's just no way the Giants are going to win a shootout. And that's why I think the two keys to this game from a Giants standpoint, Ryan, are creating turnovers. That's number one. And you look at Ryan Fitzpatrick in his career. He's always been susceptible to turnovers and interceptions, and he's struggling protecting the ball this year. And the other thing is you have to get off the field on third down. Chunk plays are going to happen against this team. There's no getting around it. You're going to give up a 15, a 20, a 30, a 40-yard pass just because there are so many weapons on the outside. But if you limit the opportunity, opportunities and you can keep the Buccaneers in third and seven, third and six, third and eight situations, and you get off the field on third down and don't allow prolonged drives and extra chances for Fitzpatrick to put the ball up in the air, then I like your chances to win the football game. But I agree. If it's a shootout, I don't know how the Giants win it. Yeah, I just I look and that's crazy when you have Beckham and Manning and I I wrote today they have four former first round picks and a second round pick are their skilled players. Corey Coleman, Odell Beckham, Evan Ingram, and Saquon Barkley are first round picks. And Sterling Shepard's a great second round pick. Um, and they can't score. So I, I mean, look, the Bucks had that problem this week. They piled up yardage and finished with three points against the Redskins. Cause same kind of thing. They, all the yards were between the twenties. The difference with the giants last week was they got in the end zone, manning through three touchdown passes. They didn't settle for field goals in the red zone, except the one, the one, uh, I, I don't They kicked two field. Yeah. I think only the one, one was it was, it was, it was the one where Saquon Barkley got stuffed for a yeah. three yard loss on third and goal from yeah. the three and Odell Beckham Jr. Lined up uncovered in the slot and yeah. Eli Manning didn't audible or check out of the play to throw it to him. And they had to settle for a field. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. Shermer, which Shermer sounded okay with, which I don't know is head scratching to me, but, um, yeah, anyway, they, but none of that matters because they won the game. And the lot, like a, we were joking the other day with Shermer about like the questions this to this week were all about the Buccaneers and not about benching Eli or what Odell said or whatnot. And the locker room, which is something that only you and I would really care about, but matters to the fans because it's who you're getting stories on, didn't have five guys in it. It had about 30 guys in it. Right. So what a difference a win makes for everybody, huh? Yeah, I agree. And I think that that's in the NFL. That's where I think that these sort of things can snowball. And uh, listen, I I don't think this team is in a position to make that run to nine and seven. I think that the schedule is still very difficult over the second half of the season. But this is where you're trying to. I think they have three straight games against winning teams, which I did not expect. Uh, when the schedule came out, I thought the second half of the schedule was kind of a joke, to be honest with you. And it's actually tougher than the first half is just as tough as I thought. And the second half is tougher than I thought. They go Bears, Titans and and uh, Redskins, I think, back to yeah, back. Three, back. Yeah, three current playoff teams, two of which are leading their respective divisions. Yeah. And, and, you, and you still have the Eagles and the Cowboys mixed in there. So you have three division games left as well. Yeah. So you were saying. No, I was saying that I think that it, as you're sitting here at two and seven with a couple of winnable games left, I really think the focus is building on something for next year and evaluating who's going to be here and who's not. So if you were to name one or two young players or fringe players that you want to see get more snaps over the second half, who would they be? Uh, Sean Chandler, for sure. I'd like to see him at free safety. I wrote about that last week. Uh, Curtis Riley. 
I mean, he just hasn't played well enough. Uh, now he's a little banged up. I, I would like Chandler's playing in the slot. I'd like to see him get more of a look at free safety. If in some world where he's your free safety of the future, that's a huge bargain on an undrafted contract. Saves you a lot of money if you can have one of those guys in your starting lineup. Um, I'd like I'd like to see that. I think the Giants made a big mistake letting go of Andrew Adams, who's coming back this week with the Bucks, and Darian Thompson, who's on the Cowboys. Um, I think that was a big, big misjudgment of the free safety. So I'd like to see Sean Chandler get more reps. And then uh, Corey Coleman. I mean, he's a first round draft pick for he's a first round draft pick for a reason. He had a nice uh, third down conversion against the 49ers and he looked good in kick return. So I'd like Giants really don't have a number three receiver. Evan Ingram's probably their number three receiver. I'd like to see more of Corey Coleman. Yeah, I'd like to see more of Corey Coleman on offense, but I think that he should be, for the rest of the year, your number one kick returner. I thought that he won that job against San Francisco. And if you move to the defensive side of the ball, two guys that I think deserve more snaps. Uh, I think that, if, especially if you're going to move Sean Chandler to free safety, which is his natural position, I'd like to see Grant Haley, what he can do uh, as the nickel corner. He has six tackles through his first two starts of the year. And if you're looking to evaluate your secondary, you have to find out if he's a guy you bring back and is the, the front runner for that nickel job. And then I look at Lorenzo Carter. To me, uh, I would split his time with Kareem Martin. I would split his time, uh, get him on the field. If you're going to put Olivier Vernon as a defensive end, when you go with four defensive linemen, put Carter on the field as your third outside linebacker. Get him as many snaps as you can. James Betcher talked about not wanting to overload his plate and that they like what they've seen from him little by little. Second half of the year, I think you got to take the shackles off and let the kid go out there, get after the quarterback. And, uh, uh, that might be, in my opinion, the key to unlocking your pass rush is getting Lorenzo Carter involved in some exotic blitz packages and letting him do his thing where he was a standout at Georgia. And let me throw one more out there since I wrote about it today. Uh, you mentioned the pass rush. Avery Moss, don't understand why he's not on the 53-man roster. He was a 2017 fifth-round draft pick of the Giants. Giants have no pass rush. Avery Moss can supposedly that's one of his skill sets is to rush the passer started two games last year for the giants. Don't understand why he's on the practice squad. When guys like Evan Brown and Cameron Moore guy, Evan Brown hasn't been active or hasn't played in a game yet. Cameron Moore's played in one. Don't understand why uh, Avery Moss is just sitting on the practice squad. Now look, no one else has claimed him. And I know that's your logic for saying somebody's not very good is you're sitting there for everybody and no one else wants you. But to me, the giants with their roster, seven undrafted rookies are on their roster. Seven. We just named a couple of them. Brown, yep. Brown, Moore, Chandler, Haley, uh, Quadri Henderson, Jawil Davis, uh, all these guys, Henderson and Davis, especially if Coleman's your kick returner, Davis and Henderson are basically the same player. You don't need them both. Uh, I don't understand why Avery Moss hasn't been promoted to 53 yet. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that you can shoehorn him in when your defensive linemen right now as, as backups on your three deep are Mario Edwards, John Jenkins, and Kerry Wynn's a nice rotational player. Um, but you got to get you got to get your evaluations in on these guys, because yeah. if you look at Avery Moss, he's somebody that if you're going to bring him back, you're probably bringing him back on a futures contract. You got to see if you what the investment's going to be there. Um, and likewise, I think once R.J. McIntosh is fully healthy, he's been active. He's on the 53 man roster now. Throw him in there. Get him into the defensive line rotation. If it's if only on situational pass rushing downs on third and long, that was his specialty at Miami. Let him go do it. Yeah. So 
it'll be interesting. Uh, look, hey, maybe the Giants will win, and we will be talking X's and O's and whatnot leading into next week's Eagles game. And if they lose, we'll be talking Kyle Oletta and RJ McIntosh. Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. So we're 35 minutes into this thing. Ryan, give me your pick and why you think the Giants are going to lose this game, because I know that's what you picked. I uh, snuck a peek at the pick sheet uh-huh. today. I think I picked 21-18, something like that, uh, 21-19. Uh, look, I, I just don't think the Giants will be able to control the pass rush. I really think it's that simple. And the two things we broke down, I think both favor the Bucs. I think the Bucs have the advantage. Bucks receivers over Giants secondary and Bucks pass rush over Giants offensive line. I think there's two things that decide the game, and they both favor the Bucs. The one thing that doesn't favor the Bucks is the turnovers. And you look at Ryan Fitzpatrick this year, nine interceptions. Yes, he has 17 touchdowns. But I think that he's a guy that you can force into making some mistakes, especially if you start to win the field position battle. Maybe they're starting out deep in their own territory and you get a timely turnover. I, I don't think this is a game where either team is going to put up big numbers in terms of points. I could see the Bucks putting up a lot of yards between the 20s, but unable to punch it in. Uh, I like the Giants in this one, narrow margin. 19 to 7. Ryan, I think this is actually the second time all year that I've picked the Giants to win oh, a yeah. football game. Um, and, and they lost the other one. So we'll see how that works out. But so you're the I, curse. I, yeah, exactly. I, I think that I think they win the game. And I think that next week we're talking about a three and seven uh, Giants team going down to Philadelphia against an Eagles team that coming off a loss is going to be sitting there at four and six. And if you told me that at the beginning of the year, I would have thought you were nuts because I thought that both teams would be much better than that. Um, but that's where we are right now. Yep, that's the NFL, and Philadelphia is the Giants' house of horrors. So, uh, parting shots. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to two guys who anxiously were awaiting this podcast. Mike Krybier at Beastie Fido, and Colin Cerniglia at Colin Talent 409. Both were like, where's the Talk is Cheap podcast? I'm dying for one. Where is it? Here it is, buddies. I got, I got one for you, and you're going to appreciate this. How about uh, at New Jersey Department of Transportation? You really dropped the ball oh, on this snowstorm. I, I have a long time. I made it this whole podcast without complaining about the fact that it took me five and a half hours to drive 10 miles yesterday. Yeah, it took me four hours to drive much further than 10 miles, but but still here. Uh, you had this snowstorm on the horizon. How about prepping the roads? How about lining up your snowplows? How about getting out there and getting ahead of this thing so the roads weren't the house of horrors that they were yesterday? Oh, Jesus. I mean, they literally were less prepared for this than the Giants were for Eric Flowers not performing. Take a bow. I think it's time to check out. He's Ryan Dunleavy. I'm Matt Lombardo. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at RY Dunleavy. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. Uh, you can t- check out the podcast at Talk is Cheap NYG. And again, if you like what you heard today, please subscribe on iTunes. Check us out on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and Google Play. And leave us those five star reviews in iTunes and the Apple Podcast Store. Ryan, this was a lot of fun. I'll see you Sunday at MetLife. Sounds good.